Hey guys, I'm Turlove. And I'm Emerson. We co-host a podcast at UW called Red Square. Every other week, we stand on Red Square and have conversations with people who open up to us about love, discovery, surprise, and sometimes even whales. We believe that each person has a story, and in sharing them, we can build a little more empathy on our campus. So head over to uwpodcast.com and listen to Red Square. Welcome and thank you for joining us here once again at the Box Seat Podcast. I'm Josh Hitty. And I'm Caden Condor. And we're your guide to anything and everything college basketball related. Today is Friday, February 21st, and we'll be recapping some of the crazy action of this past week, talking about the new transfer rule proposal, and have another installment of Draft Spotlight. That's right, and we're going to start out the show with some rapid fire like we do every week. Uh, Me and Josh are just going to go back and forth about the last week's action. If this North Carolina team still has a heart, it got ripped out and stomped on once again, losing on a last-second shot to Notre Dame. And this Carolina team, they've been extremely unlucky this season, but this team just isn't very good anyways. Obi Toppin got neutralized at the Siegel Center, but it didn't matter as Dayton picked up its 15th straight win, this time against a dangerous VCU team. Jalen Crutcher, he led Dayton with 18 points. This team's depth is what makes them so dangerous. The return of Ayo Desumu clearly made a difference for this Illinois squad, as he explodes for 24 points and a signature win for Illinois at Penn State. And this game was interesting to watch because Fox's all-access, they gave us a look into each team's huddles, and with the coaches mic'd up, I have a newfound appreciation for just how smart and competitive both Brad Underwood and Pat Chambers are. Kentucky proves that it may be peaking at the right time with a three-point edge over LSU in Baton Rouge. The three-point guard lineup combined for 46 points for the Wildcats. In Kentucky, they shot 50% from three thanks to Nate Sestina, who had a breakout game and hit three straight threes in a crucial stretch for the Wildcats. The Creighton Blue Jays are playing great basketball, proving they can play both offense and defense when they put the clamps on Marcus Howard to his lowest scoring game since December 1st. Creighton is a team that they haven't done much this season, but they're peaking at the right time. NC State rolled all over Duke and Rally. The Wolfpack put up 44 in each half to expose the Blue Devil defense for what it is, and that's fraudulent. Fraudulent. I love that analysis. I couldn't agree more. Louisville gets out of the share with a big win over Syracuse in the KFC Yum Center by 34 points. Five Cardinals scored in double figures in this one. And Jordan Wara, we've talked about it. He's the leader of the team, and he stepped up in this game at the right time. The Georgia Bulldogs pick up a ranked win in SEC play by thwarting Auburn to just 13 free throws and 15% shooting from three. Auburn is not playing their best basketball. They could be a team that makes it deep into the tourney or one that loses in the first weekend. Four Seton Hall starters dropped 15 points apiece, but it was this last second oop from Sandro Mamakulishvili that lifted the Pirates over Butler to sweep the season series in a must-win game to stay atop the Big East. Seton Hall fans have to be excited that there's more to this team than Miles Powell, and getting scoring from this Sandro Machiavelli guy helps a lot. (laughs) Iowa dominates Ohio State from start to finish with only seven Hawkeyes sitting the floor. In a season with so much uncertainty, Big Ten teams at home continue to be one of the scariest things in the nation. We talked about Ohio State last time. This was their chance to prove they belonged in the top 25. They just fell a little bit short. The Sun Devils stay hot with a five-point victory over Oregon and now have won eight of their past nine games. Bobby Hurley is making a surge once again to sneak into the NCAA tournament. 
Arizona State will get into the tournament as an 11 seed like they do every year and win two games just like they do every year. Death taxes and Arizona State in the first four play-in game. Am That's I right? right. That's exactly right. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. What a crazy few days of uh, college basketball. A lot of upsets, a lot of really good matchups. Uh, we're going to kind of go a little more in depth into a few of them. But, yeah, this was this whole week, I mean, looking ahead to next week, which we'll get into at the end of the show. Things but, are starting to ramp yeah, up a little bit. Are, teams are starting to play their best basketball of the season. Well, not all teams. <laughs> not all teams, but the ones that deserve to be there are playing their best. Yeah, exactly. And that, this is a really interesting time to watch. Only a couple weeks till, uh, till conference tournaments start. Just starting to wrap up now conference play, seeing who's going to win each, uh, each conference is a very exciting race. But we'll get into... Uh, what was the best win of the week? Uh, you want to kick us off with what What do you think was the best win of this past week? Yeah, so earlier this week, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, Illinois, they beat Penn State at Penn State 62-56. Uh, to 56. And if you don't know Penn State, they were ranked number nine in the nation. It was the highest they've been ranked in a while. They'll pro- probably be dropping a little bit, not too much, because Illinois' tournament team. But Io DeSumo for Illinois was the big story in this one. He scored 24 points. Uh, in his comeback. Illinois actually shot 44% from the field. Just an overall really good game for the Fighting Illini. Watching Brad Underwood coach was a was a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, I loved how Fox did that. They didn't have commercials. Instead, they just took it into the, the huddle, and Brad Underwood was really coaching his team up in this one. Yeah, this was, I mean, the, the, the game was awesome, but the broadcast by FS1 was fantastic. I've never seen anything like it. It was, and it, so for you guys that didn't watch, it was Instead, it was like an all-access look. I, f- I think that's what they called it. it. was like FS1 all-access. But what they had was, during the game, the one thing I didn't like was they would have little side boxes with the coaches on it, just like coaching mm-hmm. on the sidelines, which yeah. didn't really do a lot for me, and it kind of made this the game smaller. But what was really interesting was when there were timeouts, they would actually show and let you listen in on what the coaches were saying. And I thought that was incredibly interesting yeah. to to hear the, the what the plays they're going to run up and what their the coaches see on the game, yeah. and also no commercials, which yeah. was awesome. There's no commercials, I think, except for halftime in this game. So that was that was fantastic. Yeah, it was a super real look into what college basketball is actually like, and it's pretty refreshing because we yeah. never see that. I had never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. I'd never I'd have never been in a college basketball huddle before. Yeah. Uh, so just as a casual, I wouldn't call myself a casual fan, but just like. As a fan of the sport, it was enjoyable to watch. Mm-hmm. Kind of le- reminded me of the XFL a little bit. Yeah, maybe that's where they got the idea from. And XFL is also a, a Fox affiliate. It's possible, um, yeah. With, along with ESPN. Yeah. Yeah, very very interesting stuff there. I, I hope we see more of that in the future because I've been watching – we both have been watching a lot of college basketball, and we're starting to get tired of the same old uh, mm-hmm. State Farm, Chris Paul commercials and whatnot. So yeah. I definitely prefer this over mm-hmm. that. That was definitely a big win for the Illini, getting Iota Sumu back. That's a team that – uh, if they can start playing good basketball at the right time, they could really make a deep run, and I'm, I'm excited to see what they do. Best win of the week for me was NC State, and the reason being was they were a team that was just kind of outside the bubble. I was thinking they were on the outside looking in going into this week, and they knew that they only had a few more chances to pick up big wins, and one at home against Duke, a rivalry game, maybe not as much as UNC-Duke, but still a rivalry game nonetheless. And they just crushed Duke. It wasn't really ever close mm-hmm. uh, outside of the first opening couple minutes. Yeah. And, yeah, so this was a game that Kevin Keats knew he needed to win if they wanted a chance to get in the tournament. And now they're sitting pretty firmly on the bubble, and they could really go either way. It's really going to come down to these last couple weeks. 
but they are putting themselves in position to yeah. make, potentially make the tournament. And I think that's a big win for them. And they've got a big guy. Uh, his last name's Funderburg. Yeah, who great can, last name. Great last name. But he can compete with anybody, I think. If if NC State does end up making the tournament, he's going to be a dangerous guy down low. Yeah, I don't actually think this NC State team's good enough to do anything in the tournament, but there's still a culture of winning and getting into the tournament yeah. that's important. And I think Markel Johnson's also a good uh, another good piece, mm-hmm. but I don't think they're more than maybe one upset yeah. team. Well, Markel Johnson had 24 points in this game, mm-hmm. and I th- actually no, I, I think he had 28. And Coach K says he's not he's not a good player; he's a great player. So yeah. that's very exciting. Well, that's the thing about Markel Johnson is he he was very highly rated out of high school. He was a four or five star player, but he kind of just fell off a little bit. And this is the first we're hearing of him in a couple months. And he's a player that. If he's playing well and Funderburg is playing well, NC State, I think, could win a game in the tournament. Yeah. Um, but it's totally relying on those two players. Yeah. Yeah. You guys won. UNC won at NC State. Mm-hmm. Uh, Duke loses by 22, I think it was, to NC State. Yeah. So where does that kind of fall? Is you guys, you guys winning the rivalry now? There's so much parity in college basketball. <laughs> it's it's impossible to explain at this point. <laughs> All right. So I think your worst loss might have been similar to my best win. Was the, mm-hmm. the other side of that coin? Uh no, so I actually put my worst loss of the week was Auburn losing to Georgia. Oh okay, yeah. Uh, Auburn lost to Georgia sixty five fifty five. I think this one was on Wednesday as well. Yeah. Uh, Auburn they shot thirty percent from the field, which is just a horrible percentage. Only scoring fifty five points in the SEC is kind of unheard of too, because mm-hmm. the de- the defense <laughs> isn't really there. But Auburn they actually shot four of twenty six from three, which is just not going to get the job done. Yeah. Um, so again, this is a loss that's going to put Auburn back in the rankings. They have been trending downwards lately, but I don't think the, this loss will necessarily hurt their chances. This is just something that they have to learn from. Yeah, exactly. I mean, th- these kind of games happen. We've seen this a bunch where you drop a game mm-hmm. on the road to a team that you should beat. The one thing that is concerned concerning about this Auburn team is it really hasn't shot the three ball particularly well for a while yeah. now. And that's something to monitor. Last year, we remember... They were a really lights-out three-point shooting team. And this year, while they can make those runs, they aren't as consistent in that. And they get a lot more of their scoring from getting to the free-throw line this year. And they only got to the free-throw line a handful of times this last game. And that, that in, a, in a low-scoring game, if you're not getting to the free-throw line very much, that's mm-hmm. that makes a big difference. Yeah, and free-throw line, and like I said, twenty they attempted 26 threes. So they still yeah. have the mentality to shoot threes. But yeah. if you're not making them and you have that mentality, that's going to be a recipe for a loss. Mm-hmm. Going from your team that's kind of trending downward to another team that's been trending downward over the past few weeks, I had Butler at Seton Hall. Not necessarily because of how this game played out, because while it was close for the first half, Seton Hall started to pull away in the second half, and it looked like they were going to win. And then Butler came back and tied it up. And obviously, Sandrew Mamakudashvili, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, had a last-second last alley-oop tip in from an inbounds pass. Great finish, great win for the Seton Hall Pirates. They needed this win, but Butler needed this win just as much, if not more. This is a team that they were ranked fifth in the nation at one point, and they only had one loss, and it was a one-point loss at Baylor, who is the number one and still the current number one team in the nation. So at that point, you're looking at your season like, all right, we're a few games into Big East play, and we're looking like we could potentially be a one seed if we if we can have a strong Big East conference play. And since then, they've lost seven of their last ten games. Their only good win of that group was at home against Villanova, and that came on a last-second buzzer-beating shot. Still got the win nonetheless, but they have not looked very dominant. And this team is kind of limping into the tournament, it looks like, and they just can't pick up those wins, and they seem primed for an upset. 
considering where I mean, we'll see where they where they end up shaking out and how good of basketball they're playing two weeks from now but for the time being I would not trust this team to even win a game in the tournament just based on how they've been playing recently yeah and how do you feel about Seton Hall I know Seton Hall ended up you know winning the game but how did you feel about their- it, was a, it was a good win uh, it was a must win at home you got a ranked team coming in your in your home court mm-hmm. I still think the Seton Hall team when at full strength is the best team I want to say the best team in the Big East, I'm I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Creighton. Yeah, I watched them against Marquette. That was a good, really good yeah. win for them. But I I still think that Miles Powell is the best player in the Big East, and that's the best team when they're when they're at full strength. Yeah, for me, Seton Hall, they just need the the role players to be playing well. Mm-hmm. They need to play good basketball if they're going to win some games in the tournament. Yeah, exactly. And it's got to be good defense also. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they they they've had a little bit of chemistry problems in the past couple weeks. If uh, Kevin Willard can just kind of rope it all in. And make make sure that everyone's focused on the primary goal, which for this team is win a national championship. This team is good enough to win a national championship. Not saying they're gonna do it. They could also get bounced in the first weekend, but their goal should be to cut down the nets. And I think Kevin Willard has to make his guys believe in that and kind of overcome those those small chemistry issues. And hopefully, guys will start to buy in. That's right. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. We're going to be back in a second to talk about the transfer policy and the NCAA. All right, so now we want to talk a little bit about some potential new policy change in the NCAA. This is something that has been emerging over the past week. Basically, what what I'm talking about is the one-time transfer rule. It's a a new proposal. And basically, so for all you guys that don't know, the way that the transfer policy works right now, it's kind of a murky area. But the general rule is that if you transfer from one D1 school, for example, Kentucky, like Quad A Green, and you come to Washington, you have to sit out a year until you're able to play again. So if you leave on December 20th of 2019, you're not going to be able to play until December 20th of 2020. Sounds pretty straightforward, but the murky part about it is there's these new waivers that have been becoming more and more prevalent the past uh, two years now. This year was really prevalent where guys can essentially get that year off sort of waived and come back earlier. Quade Green was a guy that did that. He was able to play a couple months earlier because of it, and he was actually in in UW's season opening game against Baylor when Washington wasn't sure if they would get him. This is something that, well, I think is a good thing that they were helping guys get in quicker because it seems kind of weird to wait longer. Uh, it was really kind of uh, subjective, I guess about who got in, who didn't. It seemed like a lot of the bigger schools were uh, getting these waivers cleared, whereas some of the smaller schools had to wait their turn in line, which I don't think is very fair. There was problems about, I think there was a player on Portland, University of Portland, that didn't get his eligibility cleared until like five hours before a game, which is pretty ridiculous if you think about it that way. So that's that's one area that's a little, um, little murky about it. But basically this new change is saying that you don't have to wait out that extra year. And the way it's going to work is there's probably going to be some sort of cutoff deadline after the season, maybe like somewhere in May. And if you announce you're transferring at that point, then you can join a program and start at the beginning of the next season and not have to wait another year. So there's definitely a lot of pros and cons for either side. Uh, what are your general thoughts on, on this? Uh I think that this is a bit of a calculated move by the NCAA 
just with how fast they've been moving, like you said, it's been kind of unprecedented how quickly yeah. they have taken action on this because, like you said, it was just proposed, I think, last year by somebody and then last week by another school. Yeah, it was the Big Ten a year ago brought it up, and then I think it was on Monday that the ACC came out in mm-hmm. support of it, and on Tuesday, the group, it's it's a group within the NCAA that, that covers this topic, and they came out on Tuesday basically saying, we're going to look into this. Mm-hmm. And if you have been familiar with the NCAA, there's that whole image and likeness bill out. Um, mm-hmm. They've been under a lot of pressure, a lot of heat from that bill. I think that they're kind of moving fast to save face and kind of, you know, everything in the media, everything in the news has been anti-NCAA. Mm-hmm. So I think this would be a win for them if they could get this pushed out quickly. Um, and it d- doesn't really have anything to do with the whole payment of players, the image mm-hmm. and likeness. So there's not really any reason for them to move slowly or, you know, try and push this back. So I think that if they do this, it's kind of a win-win, win-win for the athletes transferring and a win-win for the NCAA to kind of improve their reputation a little bit. So I think that's why they're moving so quickly on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. An interesting wrinkle on this is, so basically the way this transfer rule that's being proposed right now is already in effect in most college sports, Not probably not the ones that most people pay attention to, Right now, that the current transfer rule for men's basketball and football, which are the most prominent, also affects women's basketball, baseball, and hockey. So this rule would do away with that, and there would be no more disparity between uh, a sport, for example, like women's soccer, a sport that I've covered a lot at the University of Washington. There was a player just this last year. Her name was Mary Johnston, and she transferred from Maryland and then was able to play the next year. So that would it would be more equal in that sense that mm-hmm. these – and it works well for those sports, at least to my knowledge. But I kind of want to get into some of the pros and cons of this new rule. So the pros, which you kind of touched on as being kind of a win-win for the students and the, yeah. the NCAA, that's definitely one side of it. And one, one of the major pros is student-athlete autonomy and yeah. more player empowerment. We've been seeing this a lot in the NBA and even the mm-hmm. NFL more recently. Yeah, just having the ability to go from school to school, definitely a huge advantage for the student athletes. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily detrimental to the NCAA. Again, there is another side of that coin, mm-hmm. which we're gonna talk about in a second with the cons, but we yeah. can keep going with the pros. Yeah, yeah, so one really good example that I've heard a lot of is if, say, I'm a high school athlete and I commit to a school, I go to school like uh, Michigan or Virginia Tech for a year and then my coach up and leaves either like if you're at Michigan and John Beeline goes to the NBA then what am I supposed to do? Jawan Howard's coming in. Well I think Jawan Howard's a fine coach and a very fine man. That's not what I signed up for. What if I don't want to be in that program anymore and I want to transfer? Or what if I go to Virginia Tech and Buzz Williams is there and that's why I came to Virginia Tech. That's why I came to Blacksburg was to be in his system and then he up and leaves and goes to Texas A&M. Well, now I can follow him and I could go there or I could go somewhere completely different and kind of make a new trail, blaze a new trail for me, if you will. And that's one, I think, really positive thing about this is it gives student athletes the empowerment to do something that the coaches have been able to do for a long time. And a lot of people think that student athletes should be getting paid and this just gives them more power, which I think is a good thing. Another thing that is good about this is that it may incentivize coaches to treat players better uh, because players have more power to up and leave. There's not as much of a barrier where you have to wait that whole year. So maybe a coach will treat a player better uh, to, uh, to try and keep them from leaving, which, I mean, depends how you 
it depends on the coach too because some coaches you know they're so established that they're not going to change their ways just exactly. for a player uh but you know other coaches if maybe a player is very good or super talented they they'd probably ease off up on him a little bit mm-hmm. um, could be a pro could be a con yeah exactly depending on your view another pro that i haven't really seen a lot of people talk about but i think this could be a good thing is it provides a student athlete uh, kind of on the same branch of the player empowerment but to go to a better school if they feel like they're not getting a lot of playing time say you're at i'm not even going to name a school that maybe doesn't have as high of an academic prestige but say you're at one of those schools and you're not even cracking the rotation what if you say okay well i want to go to a higher level level school with a maybe not as good college basketball program and say, okay, well, I think it's a long shot going to make the NBA, so I might as well bet on myself and go to a better school, get a better degree, and get it paid for in the time that I'm there. So I think that that could be something that players can look for as well. And I think that's the biggest pro to this whole thing is player development. Mm-hmm. Players who are shining at mid-majors, shining at smaller schools, maybe it just took them a little while, they weren't a super high recruit coming out of high school, it'll give players like that the chance to really put their talents in a big spotlight on a big stage and maybe even you know get paid and go to the NBA, which is huge for student athletes and player development in general. Yeah, hold that thought because the other side of the coin on that one is the main con that a lot of people are talking about. I just want to talk one more about one more quick pro is that it makes the NCAA a little more exciting for the, the casual fan, more movement. Uh, it's kind of like, almost like a free agency it could be at times. So that could be a more marketable thing for the off season, if you will, of the NCAA. So that's on, that could be a pro, but I want to get to what you were just mentioning about these players. I, I'm going to use Anthony Lamb as an example, a, a really good player out of Vermont. And most people probably don't know Anthony Lamb, but he's been a really solid player for this Vermont team for a few years now. And what this could have done, had this been in effect last year, was he could have transferred to Kentucky, for example, and started to play there and really raised his draft profile at that point. And that's what you say is a big con or a big pro because players can develop their skills yeah. on a bigger stage, maybe with a more renowned coach that's better for developing players for the NBA, like Coach Cal. Mm-hmm. But the other side of that coin is it really hurts those mid-major programs. If you have a good player and he just wants to go to the NBA, it can really be detrimental to those coaches because their players are transferring from San Diego State, Vermont, even Dayton, and they're going to these blue blood programs, and it basically is just going to make the rich get richer. And that's where a lot of mid-major and low-major coaches are really concerned with. Yeah, one one other side to that whole rich get richer scheme is that players who, there's there are players out there who, you know, let's face it, they're kind of busts when they get to college. They go to a school like Kentucky, they go to a school like Carolina, any of these blue bloods, and they just don't perform at a high level. Maybe they were tall in high school and just were dominate dominant because they were playing against weaker mm-hmm. opponents they get to the college game and they're nothing so this could also benefit those guys if they want to transfer out of a big school like Kentucky maybe get away from the spotlight and just let them develop a little bit more they could go from a school like Kentucky to a school like Vermont like you were mentioning and really shine at Vermont and develop their game so that is another side of it that you should probably look at um, again the rich get richer scheme I think that's definitely a bigger issue but there is the other side to that coin always where players might be transferring away from these big mm-hmm. schools too. Yeah, and there there are some coaches that share that optimism, and there's a lot of guys that could do the flip side of that, and it, it, it's a kind of a give and take, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I think the one thing that is 
a bummer about this is the reason you see the Big Ten and the ACC pushing hard for this bill is because you have all your blue bloods in those programs. I'm pretty sure teams, uh, conferences like the A10 or the Mountain West or the WCC maybe don't want this as yeah. much. And the reason, I mean, the rich get richer, but also kind of it rewards laziness for those blue yeah. bloods that don't find those diamonds in the rough and develop those players, mm-hmm. and they can just kind of poach them from these schools and these coaches that spent the time uh, refining these players' skills and getting them to a point where they're a star of a team and then they just up and leave. Yeah, and the whole process, the whole one-year waiting period, without that period, the whole process is just so much easier. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit dangerous how easy it is. Like, think of us. We're just regular students. We we committed to go to our school, University of Washington, mm-hmm. and transferring is a pretty big deal even though we're not athletes. There's a ton of paperwork you have to fill out. You got to move. Gotta, you got to move shop to another state possibly. Yeah. It's like a whole new friend group. It's it's a whole thing, and I think it's difficult for us on purpose because once you go to a school, it's kind of you got to stick you got to stick with it. That's part of life. You got to stick with things that maybe you're going to have struggles in. You're going to you know, have tough times, but the way that you stick through it is kind of what, what shapes you. So I think if you go to a school, part of the reason this transfer policy is good, waiting a, a full year to be able to play at another school, is it kind of forces you to stick with the program, mm-hmm. forces you to fight through the tough times. Maybe you're in the doghouse with your coach. We'll improve that relationship, get better somehow. You know, I think that this whole transfer thing makes it very easy for players to just give up on themselves, give up on the coach, give up on the program. And, you know, that could be a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And another reason why that could be a con similar to that is because players up and leaving just because they want to, because it's easier, like you're saying, it may not be a success story all the time. And so the way this, the way the proposal is set up is the first time you transfer, you don't have to wait that extra year. But the second time, if you were to transfer to another school, then you would have to tra- wait, a, wait a year. So if I'm someone like Anthony Lamb, I'll use him as an example, and I'm rocking out at Vermont, I'm becoming a really good player, and I go to Kentucky. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm good enough to run with these guys. I'm going to be a starter, and I'm going to help my draft stock. What if he can't crack the rotation at Kentucky because of whatever reason, all the reasons you mentioned of uh, the difference, the change of scenery, different coach, it could be a lot different. Well, and that's what I'm saying. And he wants to leave after that. He's got to wait a whole nother year. Mm-hmm. Now he's three years back. Well, and, and, and it kind of supports a pretty poor mentality of just giving up if you're allowed to just switch schools like that on the Mm -hmm. snap of a finger it kind of just it enforces a mentality of okay i can give up but giving up is okay because i can go to another school and play right away Mm -hmm. you know yeah so kind of to wrap it all up this is a pretty interesting concept i think a lot of people are pretty one side or another i don't know if i i'm I'm in support of it yeah i mean it's a really difficult thing and it depends if you're a person that likes player empowerment and wants these student athletes to get every opportunity possible you're probably in favor of this it's funny because this this empowers the players definitely yeah but i'm not in favor of it somehow because it could also be a detriment to the players at times yeah and it is ironic that the ncaa is moving so quickly on it because i think this could be worse for the players than the image Mm -hmm. and likeness bill which is funny that i'm saying that because you know i'm just kind of thinking of it now and I i don't know if i'd be in support of this bill yeah uh, Jeff Goodman, a uh, writer for Stadium, actually had a really good piece. Uh, it's a little bit of a clickbaity title about, I think it was like, is this the death of college basketball, as we know it, or something like that. It's actually a very interesting piece where basically talked to a lot of mid-major coaches, guys at uh, San Diego State, uh, Houston, Kelvin Sampson was a big guy. That, Those small schools. Yeah, small schools that are afraid of 
these larger schools poaching these players and a lot of the he also talked to some NBA players and they were pretty pretty uh heavily in favor of this really? because they like the idea of player the NBA players or the yeah, college in, NBA in, players the small small schools were they in favor? uh they were not small schools they were it was like Frank Kaminsky was one of them so oh no Wisconsin. I thought I was talking about like San Diego State and the school uh, I didn't didn't talk to the players on them on did those it, what did the coaches think coaches for the most part, coaches at mid-majors don't like it yeah, okay. because That's they're afraid of losing their players. But also some of them, forget who it was, um, I forget who it was, but someone was saying what you mentioned about there could be players trickling down that maybe don't crack a rotation at your Kentucky or Duke or Louisville, and they, yeah. they may transfer down. So there, there's a give and take where it could also benefit the mid-majors. Yeah, I just see the benefit to Blue Bloods way more than the benefit to mid-majors because at the end of the day, people – you know, they're just college student athletes, and at the end of the day, you want to play at a, a big school underneath the big lights with thousands of fans in the mm-hmm. stadium, and you're not going to get that at a small school at the end of the day. Yeah, unless you make the Final Four. <laughs> unless you make it in March. Yeah, I mean, there's not really much anyone can do, whether you're in support of it or not. At this yeah. point, it's beyond the public hands. It's, just, it's but just an opinion thing. If you don't like this thing, if you don't like this policy change, you should be rooting for small schools like Dayton and San Diego State and Houston or whoever else to make a run and win the championship this year because that may de-incentivize players to leave those programs if they could see even at these smaller programs they could still win at the highest level. That's True. that's what I would say. Again, uh, your opinion is your own. I think you could really go either way on this one, and there's not really much you could do regardless. So, yep. I mean, take with that what you will. But I just kind of want to inform everyone Definitely. on what, what could be a potential change, and this is something that – could even go into effect at the end of this season. Yep. So this is this is something that's coming up. Yep. And you mentioned the NCAA is sluggish. This is not one of those cases where they're moving quickly, so this is something to really keep your eyes yep. on. Definitely an interesting thing to monitor uh, as the season progresses. Uh, what have we got next? Looks like we got draft spotlight. <laughs> Spend enough time on uh, NCAA policy. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to look at a couple more players for uh, draft spotlight. End of the season is coming up, so we're looking more closely at these guys that are probably going to be moving on to the to the NBA at come to the end of this year. Uh, we're going to break down two different Tyreses. So Caden's going to break down Tyrese Maxey, and I'm going to break down Tyrese Halliburton of Iowa State. So you, do you want to kick us off on that? Sure. I will I will kick us off. Um, so Tyrese Maxey, he's a six foot three freshman from Kentucky. He's had some big moments this year. He also struggled this year. He's had good ones and bad moments. He's a guy that can get his own shot at any time. He has a natural ability to score, uh, especially in the lane inside the three-point line. He's got really good touch and understanding of the game just for a freshman. Um, Like I said, he did go through a bit of a slump midway through the season. I think one of the biggest reasons was because he tended to shy away from contact. In general, he was kind of playing a little bit scared, a little bit soft. But um, ever since about, I think it was one or two months ago, his game has really picked up. He's kind of seeking contact now. He's getting to the free throw line. He's an 80% free throw shooter. Um, so him getting to the free throw line is big, um, especially at, at the college level. That can get you a lot of, like, basically just free points from the charity stripe. He's only a freshman. I think he could be a high pick. This is a weaker NBA draft class, so I think if he does go pro, he could. He'll definitely be a first-round pick, but he could be top 15, top 20. Yeah. This is, you mentioned it's a weird, it's a weaker draft class, I think, at the top which means there's way more room for movement up and down throughout, even from, like, 
I mean, number three to number 20. So I think I've seen him around five at times and also around 15 at times. So mm-hmm. it's really who knows, and that's what, what makes these last few, few weeks really important. Yeah. But Tyrus Max is a guy that I think he's coming into his own. He's really too inconsistent for my liking. Can't really shoot particularly well, but Very he, does have, shooter. he does have a knack for shooting and getting – making something out of nothing, which I think is a very mm-hmm. valuable asset. He's a very good improviser. And, yeah. Uh, I've, I've started to come around him, him a little more, but I don't think he's necessarily like mm-hmm. a number one guy. No, me neither. And these last couple weeks of the season will be pretty big for him mm-hmm. um, because Kentucky will be a team that's in March Madness that are going to be you know, playing games in the tournament. So if Maxi can be playing well in those games, I think NBA scouts could take a chance on him. Mm-hmm. My guy was Tyrese Halliburton. He's also a point guard. I think Maxi's kind of a... He's, he's a guard. He's like a combo guard. Yeah, he's a combo guard. Perfect. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton is bigger. He's 6'5", 175. He's a sophomore, and he's a, a true point guard, but he's a very, very big, very long guy. Uh, so he's averaging just over 15 points per game, almost six rebounds and six and a half assists. He also turns the ball over two and a half times. So that's a bit of a uh, area for concern a little bit. But how, he, how heavy did you say Halliburton was? He's only 175. Yeah. He, that's wow. the first thing. Because Maxi is 6'3", 198. Yeah, he is. So Halliburton's got to be skinny. Yeah, he's a very skinny guy, and that's one of the the cons or reservations that people may have about him. But you have seen players in the league playing well. KD, he's a perfect example of how skinny guys, at the end of the day, if you can shoot and play well. Yeah, and like I said, it is an area to be concerned about because um, there is a more physical game in the NBA, but... Again, like you said, there's plenty of examples with guys that are totally fine. Kevin Durant being a very operative example of that. So that's something that maybe keep your eyes on. But, my God, he can shoot the ball with the best of him. His shooting splits are 50% from the field, 41% from three, and 82% from the line. That is fantastic. Could be a tiny bit better free throw shooter, but that's just splitting hairs at this point. Uh, he improved significantly from his freshman year to his sophomore year, and he's pretty much playing the same amount of minutes. He does have a bigger workload. And his team, Iowa State's not very good, and he's kind of the only good thing on that team. So the fact that he's averaging six and a half assists on a very poor team is pretty impressive. So he's really setting up guys well to get high percentage looks. Mm-hmm. The man is very skinny. That's uh, I mentioned that's so a bit of a bit of a concern there, but I think I think he could potentially be a top five, top ten pick because of his ceiling and how long he is. A, a good example or a good comp for. For Tyrese Halliburton is a guy like Shea Gilders Alexander, former Kentucky Wildcat, current member of the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's been playing really well this year, almost an all-star, kind of that long. So, uh, Gilders Alexander is not a skinny, but kind of skinnier point guard that is really fluid with the ball and despite his length is still really good in the lane. So yeah, I think he could potentially be the first uh, point guard selected. I think LaMelo Ball is probably going to be the first one, which I've don't really know how good he is. I've never watched LaMelo Ball, but it sounds like he's a top three pick. So I think Halliburton could be the next guy. A couple teams to look for him could be uh, Detroit and New York. A couple teams looking for point guards. So there you go. There it is. There it is. <laughs> we'll be back next week yeah. for our <laughs> NBA draft spotlight. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting stuff. Yeah. All right. That's, uh, that's pretty much all I got on him. Uh, we Probably not going to be in the tournament. So if you want to watch... Tyrese Halliburton, you only got a couple weeks left to do that. But he, he's a pretty pretty damn good player. I, I trust you, Josh. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to some odds and ends. We mentioned this earlier in the show, but there was an FS1 game where Penn State played Illinois. Fox did their all-access. We were mm-hmm. able to get 
an in-depth look into both teams' huddles. Super fun to watch. Yeah, uh, very in Both of those of coaches at work. Very refreshing way to watch the game. Do you have any last thoughts uh, about it? We kind of already covered yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I just want to say I'm very in support of that. Hope they do it more in the future. Yeah. And then also Coach K, I don't know if you saw this after the NC State loss, kind of blew by Kevin Keats, didn't really even blew shake his hand. Blew by him. I was actually going to say that same thing. <laughs> he, you know, Roy Williams is a guy that was always talked to the opposing coach, but Coach K after the losses, he's mad, man. Co- uh, Roy Williams will even talk to players after they foul out, like Vernon Carey. So, I mean. He will. Yeah, yeah there you go. Roy Williams is, ma- is for the people. <laughs> yeah, you know? he's a man of the people. That's how he gets such good recruits. Like uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Caleb Love. <laughs> Caleb Love is a, is a baller. Yeah. But, like, Colin, last couple years Colin's it's been. <laughs> last couple years it's been bad. Nazir Little. <laughs> Nazir Little, Harrison Barnes, two of the biggest busts yeah. in Carolina history. Yeah. Harrison well, Barnes. It could be White, Harrison Barnes was the number one player out of high school. Number was he, one. He was the first pick in the draft then, right? Because he was number. Wait, no, not, not quite. Oh, <laughs> well, he, not quite. Check the tapes on that. All right, I'm gonna. That's all I had for odds and ends. Not a whole lot. Okay. Uh, going into games to watch this weekend is awesome, especially Saturday. Get your popcorn ready. 9 a.m. tomorrow. Ready. Round two. Kansas at Baylor. This is number one. Uh, in the nation, Baylor going against number three, Kansas. Baylor won round one in Fog Allen. Kansas is going to go try and even the score now mm-hmm. at one apiece. This is a really good one. 9 a.m. Set your alarms. Yeah. This is could be the best game of the season. Yeah. Wish it wasn't so early. Uh, yeah. But I'll try and tune in for the second. <laughs> West, Coast, West Coast struggles, 9 a.m. Um, <laughs> next, we've got Michigan and Purdue. Uh, another Big Ten matchup. Michigan's a team that has a little bit of, bit of momentum. Yeah, they've been rolling. Um, they're trying to make up push for the tournament and getting a, a better seed. Uh, Villanova is also playing Xavier at 11.30. It's another big game in the Big East. Yeah. It'll just be interesting to see these two teams facing off against each other. Uh, just another chance to watch Villanova play. Yeah. They're still they're a team that we're still kind of unsure about, but if Villanova can you know play well. Xavier is also a bubble team looking for a big win. Villanova coming into your your hometown. That's that's a big big opportunity for Xavier. Mm-hmm. Florida at Kentucky. You might be saying, why is Florida on the games to watch? Florida is playing Kentucky, and they've actually been playing pretty good basketball. Here we go. This is. I'm not saying they're gonna <laughs> I'm, do I'm well, playing. but they have been playing good basketball lately. And they're the Florida did this last year where it didn't look like they were gonna make the tournament, and they started playing really good basketball towards the end of the season. They ended up even winning a game in the NCAA tournament. Squeaking in, I think they were like a 10 seed and they won a game. So, shout out to Florida. We'll see if they can kind of continue to peak at the right time like they did last year. And if they do, look out. That's all I'm saying. Oregon at Arizona at 6 p.m. This is really good Pac 12 game. The Pac 12 race is really, really interesting. There's like five or six teams with a legit chance to win it this year, which is pretty mm-hmm. crazy. Washington's not one of those teams. No. But Oregon some, and Arizona are both. Yeah, and a couple teams, teams vying for tournament bids too. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so that'll be a good one. Gonzaga at BYU. Gonzaga had a tough game against San Francisco but came back and pretty much dominated the second half. This Gonzaga team is good, but this is a big test for them. BYU is ranked for the first time in a long time, and Gonzaga's coming in to the to Provo. Tough place to play. We know BYU fans get get rowdy. And Gonzaga is also <laughs> coming in not having faced a good team in however many weeks. Yes, yeah, exactly. So very, it'll, be, it'll be a good one to watch. Very interesting. I definitely have this one circled because BYU, I'm really interested to see how they match up against yeah. Gonzaga. That I was wanna, at 7 p.m. And I want to see if Gonzaga's legit too. Exactly. Uh, a few good games on Sunday as well. 
Uh, Wichita State at Cincinnati, two American teams looking to – this is a bubble matchup. Probably no one cares, 10 a.m. Yeah, no. No. Uh, Maryland at Ohio State. Ohio State trying to bounce back. They're at home. Maryland has been rolling. Look out for that one, 1 p.m. And also at 1 p.m., Creighton at Butler. Butler, we mentioned, is in desperate need of a big win. Mm-hmm. This is a chance with a red-hot Creighton team coming into to Hinkle Fieldhouse. So yep. another one to watch for. Great, great slate of college basketball. Don't watch XFL. Don't watch NBA. Just watch college <laughs> basketball. Get ready for your bracket. Yep, it's coming up. So about, it's, it's gonna be March in about a week and a half. So yeah. uh, start tuning into some games. Pretty good slate this weekend. Do you have anything, anything else? Josh? I'm good to go. All right. This has been another episode of the Box Seat Podcast. I'm Caden Condor. I'm Josh Eddie. And thank you guys for listening. If you guys have any questions, concerns, DM us on Twitter at the Box Seat Podcast, and we will see you guys on Monday.